looking for the king of podcasts, you're at the wrong channel. Looking for good ideas for life, you are far from good hands. If you think the listener is always right, you are far from the right place. Hosted by Northeastern by birth, a rebel by choice. If you want a host that floats between love and madness, then play on and listen to Crazy Train Radio. You drive me wild. <laughs> what up, Crazy Train Radio? You look like hell. And I could look the same. What's the photo for? You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Truth, 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 I love scotch. I love scotch. Scotch is got scotch. Here it goes down. Down into my belly. I'm one crazy new Hey there, Friday fans. We know how much you enjoy the movies. Enjoy grabbing your Friday merchandise and interacting with the Friday family, whether it be at conventions or during our particular watch-alongs. Well, when you're looking to get yourself masks, why not check out our friends over at Camp Blood Customs out of New York State and order your specific custom mask from any of the films. All orders are made specifically. Your needs and wants are. Make sure you find Camp Blood Customs on Facebook, Instagram, and all over social media and order yours today. Duff, your second favorite vampire, and you're listening to Crazy Train Radio. Hey folks, it's your least favorite host in the podcast world, Croc. Jonathan Steele. 
boy do we have a good one for you today. Well, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages. And the good thing about this next guest is she is from my neck of the woods of the Northeast. Even though she's a New Yorker, we'll let her go for that. And I'm a Philly guy, as most people know. So there is more than meets the eye with this lovely young lady. But most people who listen to us would be familiar with her as being a part of the subspecies series. But like I said, there's more than meets the eye as she has been a photographer, actress, a mother, a wife, just so many different things. So let's go ahead and say hello to Miss Denise Duff. How are you doing? Hey, I'm doing well. Thank you so much, by the way, for uh, just your patience in getting this scheduled. And I just, I love what you do. I love your interviews. Um, I recently listened to Julie Michaels. I, I learned things about her and she's one of my dearest friends that I didn't know because of your professional and insightful and enthusiastic knowledge. And I will make sure that Denise is drug tested after we are done saying that or done this conversation saying there's professionalism and stuff on my end. But <laughs> thank you. I appreciate that. It's all the ca- it was all the cash that you gave me last week, right? I mean, that's what you told me to say, right? Well, this is true. To, glad the okay. PayPal cleared. So <laughs> good. <laughs> and we'll start there because... Denise is a recommendation from Miss Julie Michaels, who is one of the sweetest ladies I know and have gotten to know over the past few months. And Denise said she is a close friend of hers. And it was funny that when Julie first recommended you and tagged you in the initial email several months ago, what she just said there was exactly what she said in the email in that as long as you guys had known each other you were surprised to learn some things in the interview so yep and i don't want to beat a dead horse as they would say but can i ask what some of those things were because i know some of it was a very deep and personal with her story at least and you know I know you guys have probably had conversations as friends, so. Sure, sure. I mean, I, you know, I met, uh, I met Julie uh, many years back at like at a baby shower and um, she was there for the birth of my daughter in my home. Um, We both have children the same age, so they've grown up together and we've just done a lot of the, the domestic parenting activities together, along with I directed a film uh, called Vampire Resurrection that I had her in with um, the late Jeffrey Lewis. And um, she uh, uh, but one of the things that she talked about in your interview was about her audition for Roadhouse. And I, I didn't know um that she didn't really even have an agent at the time or she had just met with someone else's agent and they said, Hey, uh, go to this audition, right. It was a friend or, um, and, um, 
when she got it, like she actually didn't want to do it initially. And um, yeah, I just, I didn't, I didn't know that whole backstory on this film that has become one of the most iconic credits on her resume. And uh, if I remember the story correctly, and actually, you know, if I'm quoting it right, I should say, is mm-hmm. I'm I'm the same way messing with the camera. I I could so see I need an alignment bad by my chiropractor. It's scary, <laughs> but uh, the person that she had the issue with the mm-hmm. night before that famous dance scene and all that we talk about was the person that she rode over to the audition with. Yes. So I was like, that's yeah, but that is probably one of our most in-depth conversations and most very personal ones I would say as far as diving deep into a somebody's background so definitely yeah. recommend listening and not and not because Julie bribed me <laughs> right her pay, pay, PayPal is very good too yes it even though it bounced back when I sent the uh, invoice but that's a whole nother thing <laughs> So we were initially going to do this while I was in Florida, uh, not long after the watch along of Roadhouse. But however, you had because I was in your neck of woods of Western Florida for a few days. However, you had made a quick trip out to L.A. When yeah, we, it was just. Yes. Two ships passing in the night. And there is, there is quite a lot of, um, there's some great horror film festival, science fiction film festivals that go on in Tampa. And I had come out here for several before, uh, during the pandemic, I wound up moving here, um, you know, for the time being. And, uh, and I will be doing a, um, a festival in, um, a convention in July. Um, my gosh, I forgot what it's called. Um, a screen fest. Um, but I will say that the few that I've done here, um, I've just been so impressed with the amount of filmmakers, horror filmmakers and this filmmaking community that's here. And it's just, it's getting bigger. Um, certainly even since the pandemic, a lot of filmmakers have been coming to Florida, to Pinellas County area. There's been good tax incentives. And I actually just finished doing, um, when I was in Los Angeles, I auditioned for a film and uh, films in um, Clearwater. And that's where I currently am. And it's a film for, um, it's either going to go to Lifetime or Hallmark. Um, And I just thought it was so ironic that, you know, I go to LA for a few days to do some other work. I do an audition and the film actually books like practically in my backyard. So, you know, it just goes to show you that really anything can happen. And I think the world is at such a flux right now. And you can, um, you really can make art and be a part of things all over the world because of doing things right on Zoom. Um, If you are in another country, you you could still audition for things. All the auditions are now, you videotape yourself um, and it just, it, it makes the world a little bit smaller. And I feel it really gives opportunity for anybody anywhere to take part in the entertainment industry. Exactly. And it's funny that you mentioned that as far as 
the convention circuit and everything in Florida. But before we touch on that a little bit, you just said you moved down to where you're at during the pandemic. So what was it that attracted you to the Clearwater, Pinellas County area there? Well, not a super happy story. It was um, literally just before the pandemic happened. My mother had moved here from Los Angeles and um, she got lung cancer. Uh, she kind of left us pretty fast and, um, and had a little home here. And um, I was starting a skincare business amongst all the other things that I was doing as a photographer and a director and an actress. And, um, and I, but I was starting, I had moved um, to Manhattan for a few years in 2017, 2018, um, and in 2019. And I was doing the skincare business, um, but I'd fly back to LA every month to do work there. Um, but I really wanted to continue this. And when my mother passed, it was like, wow, we have a free house in Florida um, and let's give it a shot. It wasn't going to be long-term. And two months after we moved here, the pandemic hit. And so we weren't going to move back to Manhattan. And I wasn't going to move back to Los Angeles because both of those cities were very closed down. And here I was in the Tampa Clearwater area. And I was, I was able to uh, afford investing more into my skincare business. And it's a, it's a, a bit of an irony because, you know, I do these f- fan conventions and you know, when I was a vampire, people really think that I'm a vampire because, you know, at 55 years old, um, I'm not looking at too much. And so, um, you know, when I sell my face cream, it's like it really is eternal face cream. Um, so but being down here in the Tampa Clearwater area has allowed me to continue um, doing that business. And then the agents that I got, I'm still able to audition for things all over the U.S., um, you know, I, I, I auditioned for a lot of TV shows that tape in Georgia. Um, and so for now, this has been a very good place to be as an artist and, and as an entrepreneur. And, you know, it's funny because you were talking about things being done over Zoom and stuff like that, which we're on now. But it made me think of a conversation I recently had probably about a month or so ago. It's yeah. out there now. Uh, pandemic pillow talk which is a virtual series that they're doing where it was like a online dating kind of deal and eric roberts and his wife elise is involved in it it was a cool concept but you mentioned about the project in clearwater there that you got hired to do and stuff yeah but does that make you feel better that at the end of the workday, you could come home, sleep in your own bed, shower in your own bath. You know, just had certain comforts of your own house that you you wouldn't have in a hotel room. You know, I I um I have such a wandering spirit, and and I'm such an adventurer. And that I will say, you know, living in LA all my life and and working on films there um, was super fun. But I I do have to say, along with many of my fellow actors. Um, we really love booking jobs that are on location. Um, you know, fortunately, we're, we're put in uh, decent hotel rooms and there's something really fun. You know, <laughs> I, I don't keep a TV in my bedroom. I never have. And so it is kind of fun to have a TV in your room when you're in a hotel. Um, 
I'm not doing laundry, you know, when I'm working on a film and I have to come home, I've got, I still have to deal with my day-to-day activities of like, oh, I've got to fix that molding or, oh, I've got, you know, so being on location really does have um, quite an excitement to it. And when you think of as an actor, we don't work Monday through Friday, nine to five, 300 days out of the year. Yeah. And, um, you know, you it, it's kind of like the game of golf. They, I saw a T-shirt for golf that said, um, I hate golf. I hate golf. I hate golf. Nice shot. I love golf. And, you know, it's like with acting, it's it's, you know, my God, I've auditioned. I'm auditioning. I'm auditioning. I'm going to give up. I'm gonna, oh, I booked a job. I love this. And um, so you spend way more time not working and working on getting your your craft than you do when you do it. So, um, uh, you know, I was on a soap opera. I was on uh, Young and Restless for about a couple of years. And that was the closest thing to having a nine to five job because on a soap opera, you know, it's local to you. Occasionally there are some uh, special day players that may fly in for a part. And ironically, um, Radu, who's played by Honest Hove, um, uh, has a recurring role on General Hospital. And he was on General Hospital in 1993 um, when the char- one of the main characters on it, who was already cast, um, they needed to find their evil vampire. And a character named Michael Watson, who played Stefan, the character who my character falls in love with, um, was on days was on uh, General Hospital and said, hey, there's an actor that's on our show. Uh, he's a Danish guy who comes in from time to time playing a character named Faison. I think he'd make a great evil vampire. And that was honest. And he came and auditioned and got it. And so, um, uh, but the soap operas are some of the closest form to having a nine to five job. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't work every day. Not every character's on the soap, every single storyline, you know, there are breaks in it, but you'll pretty much work two to four days a week, which is a lot for an actor. And soap operas don't have, um, they don't have hiatuses. It's not like we're going to do eight weeks or 10 weeks and then shut down. They're 24 seven. So that was the closest thing when I was on the soap to having that nine to five job. And, and it was really sweet. You know, you, you looked forward to your weekends and having family time. Whereas when I was done with that soap, I hated my weekends. And prior to the soap, I hated my weekends because those were days that I couldn't audition. Those were days I didn't have an opportunity to book a job. And I think that's one of the differences with really with having a job that you love so much that during that a Sunday for most artists isn't a day to just relax. Um, You know, it's a day to what can I create more on my passion, whether it's my short film I'm doing. Oh, my gosh. I I know it's boring. No, no, no. You're good. (laughs) I had I had a five and a three year old that wore me out. So go ahead. Oh, yes. Yes. So, um, yeah, I. of course, I did love what I what I loved about having a job here is here I'm living in this sleepy uh, sort of retirement community of Clearwater, Bel Air Bluff, um, where you don't drive around and see films being filmed. And that's been my entire life living in Los Angeles and Manhattan. You know, it's it's just the ha- photo shoots are happening. You're constantly being detoured because, oh, who's filming now? What movie's filming now? And I, now it's for the first time in my life that I'm living in a place where they don't film. So the fact that that's starting to happen now, um, it was super exciting to come home and uh, to get ready for my next my morning uh, time on the set. 
So yes, that it's a, the film is called Love's Playlist and it was directed and starring um, a gal named uh, Brittany Underwood. And she's done, uh, been in a lot of uh, different TV shows, Brittany Underwood, an amazing director, singer, and um, an actress, mainly an actress who's segueing into being a director. And uh, you mentioned the doing a few conventions and stuff. And obviously, like I said, most people who listen to us anyway would be familiar of subspecies series. Yeah. So with that being said, the conventions and all, the few you've done, what was the most unique fan interaction you would I would say you have coming to a show and stuff? Oh, gosh. Well, certainly the uh, one of my highlight ones was a couple of years ago when I had come to a convention in Tampa. Um, I'm signing someone's autograph and a guy walks by and he says, Denise Steph. And I said, yes. And um, he. Uh, he said, hey, I remember you from Los Angeles from 20 years ago. I used to work at the gym on La Brea and Hollywood Boulevard. And you would come in all the time reading scripts and you'd be on the Stairmaster or treadmill. And he said, you were the only actress I knew that worked all the time. And you were the only one that was really nice to me. And I was like, oh, my gosh. Yeah, of course, I remember you. And he goes, I'm an agent here in Tampa. If you ever move here, you've got an agent. And five months later, my mother passed and. Eight months later, I wound up moving to Tampa and, of course, uh, Shelby became my agent. And that was just sort of a sweet, small town. Like, you never know. You never know who you're going to meet again in this life. It just I really feel like there are 13 people I meet and we just keep sort of recycling who knows who. Um, You know, and then then you get then then I get third generation. I get someone who would watch subspecies with their grandfather. And so, you know, I've got this 12 year old boy I'm signing an autograph and he's there with his 35 year old father. And next to them is his 75 year old father. And so it's these three generations uh, that have watched subspecies. And the fact that now with, you know, with the internet and with all sorts of streaming, it just, you know, it used to be that people would steal the blockbuster VHS copy. What's going on? They confiscated everything, even the stuff we didn't steal. (laughs) And would bring that to, you know, the Chiller Convention or Fangoria, these conventions I would do. And I would sign, you know, begrudgingly these uh, blockbuster copies of VHSs. And um, because they were just hard to get, they were hard for people to see, but now people get to see them on Tubi or, you know, YouTube. So, um, you know, now it's more about taking pictures, chatting with them, uh, telling stories. And I love to hear their feedback. That's what makes doing horror films better than doing any romantic comedy is because horror film fans are, I feel are the most invested in the storylines of any genre of film. And for the most part, and overall, the horror fan base always seems like it's one of the most well-read and intelligent fan bases. And not just, not just within the horror genre, but oh, no. across That's, multiple 
I say that quote all the time when, when people who aren't as familiar with this genre and other actor friends of mine who haven't experienced that, I always say, oh, no, uh, these fans are the most well-read. They are extremely intelligent and no, they, they're not stalking me. They're truly interested in not only the work that I put into the film, but the work that I did to prepare for it. Um, and then just interested in as a person, you know, they, they love to weave in your personal life with your cinema, you know, your, your real life, your R-E-E-L life with your R-E-A-L life. Um, and I have found that far more than even with having done soap operas. And it's funny you say that because I actually watched this morning. I finally had an opportunity because I have the watchathon or whatever it's called on the, from Showtime and some of them thanks to Xfinity. But I just watched uh, 13 Fanboy, which was done by friend of the show, Deborah Voorhees. Mm -hmm. And it hints on that topic that you're talking about, weaving in the real life compared to the film life and TV, the celebrity life per se. Yep. Yep. It was, and I know some people didn't participate in the film from, certain horror franchises because and i totally understand because of the having real life issues with whether it be stalkers or you know just they've had some serious stories so you know i mean it for them it would have been overstepping right certain line which i totally good but as a picture, it was very well done. Deborah did an awesome job. Love Deborah to death. Did a lot of it in New Mexico there, which was awesome. So great. Yeah. So if you have a chance to check that out, 13 fanboy folks. And yeah. as you were, yeah, it's on Showtime. So if you have Showtime, okay. you can be able to check it out there. Okay. And as far as the uh, things being, or fans being well read and stuff, this is all for show. Most of them were picture books because my parents didn't want me to know how to read and write. Yeah. <laughs> hey, as a photographer, I love me uh, good photos, all the good pictures, you know? Yeah. I'm picture right. I'll say. There you go. Uh, picture uh, a thousand words. We know that. Yes. And yeah, we'll leave that be. But uh, speaking of subseries and whatnot that mm-hmm. people know you from. And we know everything on the internet is true, but oh, hundred percent. That's a tongue in cheek that I always go usually with most episodes. But is there truth that they are working on a part five? Oh gosh, it, it's been it's been written for twelve years. Um, Twenty nineteen, we got the go ahead to do it. Uh, the script was released. Um, 2020, June 17th, I had a ticket um, to fly to um, Albania to begin it. Um, But because as we know, in June of 2020, people weren't filming. Um, And then it got pushed to 2021. um, And then it got pushed again to August 29th of this year. We are going to go to Serbia to do part five. And um, it will be a prequel So it's going to take place um, like a thousand years before the, uh, the part one even started. So you're going to find 
out how Radu became a vampire. You're going to find out how my character, Michelle, who was basically just a college student who fell in love with this half vampire guy and then gets, you know, he dies and she gets tangled up with his evil brother. Um, and so you're going to find out, uh, I, I play my earlier lifetime version of my character, which is good because 25 years in between these two films, if I played the same character, you know, um, so they're going, it's going back in time. And so they're going to Serbia because Serbia has the old castle because it's taking place in like, um, actually more like the 1500s. So it's going back more than a thousand years. It's taking place around the 1400s to the 1600s. Um, so there'll be horses and it'll be very, um, very crusades error. It's should be really badass. Right. So obviously I know there'd be a little bias here, but from what you've read script wise and story and everything, are you excited about it? Is it? Oh gosh. It, 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 it's like a Game of Thrones episode. You know, it is, it's poetry. Um, it's uh, like a, a dungeon of, of vampires to horses and monks and, and uh, musicians. Um, it's really, it's such a beautiful story. You, uh, the, the evolution, it has Vladislas, the king of the vampires, um, a little bit of humor. Um, but really just a, a dark, beautiful, well-told story. And the reason it's taken this long is because Full Moon Pictures, when um, the, the budgets just got much smaller, like in the last 10, 15 years, when we shot the subspecies series, it was partially produced by Paramount Pictures. So, you know, there were a few million dollars to be put on the screen for these films. And they weren't, even though they might've been considered B-movies, um, back in the 90s and, and later, a B-movie um, could cost a couple million dollars. Now, you know, you can make an A-movie with a half a million, you know, mm -hmm. so with, with VO. And um, so the director, Ted Nicolau, didn't want to compromise and shoot it in America because the first four were shot in Romania and... This one it goes back even further in time and really needs those old castles and cobblestone streets in Serbia. So that's what also took a long time was raising the money within the production company themselves. And then when the pandemic hit, filmmaking got a lot more expensive because if you're following all the COVID protocols, it's just more money. Everything is just more expensive. So that put a, that kind of kept pushing us. But all along, um, you know, I've got my script. I've been working on my hair pieces. I've got my costume and it's this glorious, you know, I've got a few of them that, that were made for me two years ago. So this is going down. Uh, it's good. Were some of those uh, outfits done by our mutual friend that is also friendly with yes. Miss Michaels? Yes, Desi. Desi Designs. Desi Designs made my dresses just hand stitched onto me. Just every little, every little detail. She worked on even aging, you know, the, the leather and even things that you had to think of um, with these puffy sleeves and these like very tight arms. Um, and they're made of certain materials, but they started to be very loud. They made like loud sounds. And when you're filming, you have to, 
think of those things that you can't, you, even though the material may be authentic, if it's going to ruin the sound for the actor, every time the they talk. mics and all that. Yeah, that's right. So um, we had to create an authentic material, but that wasn't going to be every time I uh, moved and talked. So I love those things. Even on the original films, um, when we shot subspecies, my character, even though it takes place in, in current days, uh, the character goes into an old opera house and um, she had bust out of um, an ambulance because she made her way into a hotel room and fell asleep in the bathtub, curled up and just had on like, you know, a little T-shirt. And so when she uh, the, the housekeepers thought she was dead in the film and uh, they put her in an ambulance and she winds up waking up because she's a vampire and runs out of the ambulance and goes into an old opera house. And that's where the character and Ted, the writer, was just so brilliant. And how do you get a character in really beautiful clothes? You have to write it into the script. Like if you're a good writer. So people aren't like, hey, where'd she get that beautiful gothic outfit from? Um, so she goes into the, the basement of this uh, opera house where there's a glass gilded coffin where she slept. Um but emerged from it in this beautiful linen puffy sleeves and um, beautiful draping skirt and velvet. Well, the detail work on it was such that it was so old, it didn't even have zippers. So every day the uh, seamstresses had to sew the dress on me and had to cut it off of me every day of work. It had to be hand sewed on and then cut off. Even when I would get, um, when I would bite a victim because they only had one of these particular dresses when they would bite me, um, I uh, I had to remember where the blood was because we didn't always we didn't have a double or a triple of these outfits. So when they would hand wash it for the next day, and we had to continue the bite scene, I would have to make sure that I pushed my chest up to the guy in the right way so that the blood could come the right way. And anyway, it's just there's a it's, spot on my left shoulder, and there's instead this, of the right. The, yeah, the, the little details on, you know. Yes, yes. So I, I love I loved doing all that, you know, um, a scene where I'm I'm drinking from the bloodstone. And that was a, a contraption that was made in the storyline so that the character doesn't have to kill for blood and it drips the blood of the saints. And so on my very first scene where I'm drinking from the bloodstone, um, we had a, a wire up my my shirt like it went you know all the way through look this is my my charging cord and um and it went into the uh the bloodstone and so i'm drinking from the bloodstone and a guy from around the corner the special effects Pumping. guy is pumps the blood right so just when there were two cables one had um electricity so it made a light glow and then right after the light glows the blood starts to come and the director just wanted a couple little drops and I'm staying there and I'm like this and it's this beautiful close up and the blood's not coming on my tongue and it's very quiet, the quiet on the set, you know, and, and all of a sudden I feel my back is really cold and wet and the cable, which was going down my back, the, 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 um, the piping had a connector and it burst open and all the blood was pooling on my back. And so we had to cut. And the makeup artist, I mean, this is just the epitome of, of filmmaking in, in this genre. He wound up just hiding down behind me and um, and just blowing it with his mouth at, at, as we were in for the close-up on the tape. 
you know, because to try and repair it. And, and it was a Hudson sprayer, you know, and, and it just popped it apart. So I, I love all that. It almost sounds like the original, the story from the original Friday the 13th with Kevin Bacon, where he, they, whoever was doing the uh, blood effect when he got killed, extra blowing yeah. to push everything through and it made it look better. Oh, yes. Yes. That's in fact, my, my very first bite that I had to do to a victim, the director wanted me to like throw up the blood, right? Like it was, you know, too, too much, too putrid for my character, right? My very first kill. And so um, I just didn't want it to look, I don't know. I just didn't want it to look bad. I wanted it to be like really um, kind of, kind of um, offensive. So when it came to the, to get ready for the take, they give you, you know, a little bottle in a sprayer and they, they have you um, to just drink some of it. And he gives me some to drink. And I'm like, this isn't enough. Like, I'm just going to go, you know, especially because the scene just before where I'm sucking the guy's blood, the director really had me like heaving, heaving, heaving. So if I'm going to now break away, go down on the ground, I want this to be something. So I, I grabbed the, the blood bottle and I like, I took so much and I'm like, and I get down there and I start to swallow just a little bit because even though it's not uh, bad for you, I don't know if you ever tasted like fake blood, like film blood. No, I haven't. No. So it's like, like uh, glycerin. It's just super sweet. And, and all that red dye can be very bitter. So it's like bitter and sweet. And, um, and so I had it in my mouth and I didn't want to let it out right away. Right. And the characters on all fours and I just didn't know how it was going to cough out. And I just thought, okay, what's a real throw up like it's when you can't help it. It's not a real throw up. Isn't you necessarily spitting it out. It's your body rejecting it. Mm -hmm. So I purposely swallowed a little bit and it just made me gag and went and it just splat. And all of a sudden, like the set went from being quiet to fuck yeah that, that's know. awesome yeah. <laughs> yeah and i turn around it was like that was my first um induction into the 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 horror film like okay she's gonna be okay with these blood scenes yeah this is gonna work right so diving a little further back off the series when you were just getting your start as a actress and whatnot i heard that you really didn't understand the hustle of the entertainment business and really was on a learning curve. And when I say hustle, it's not like she was uh, out hustling on the street corners in New York because obviously she did some school time in L.A., then went to NYU. So what was that like learning the hustle of the entertainment business? Yeah, that's a a good question. Um, so yes, I did go uh, to New York University and I studied um, I studied directing and I um, studied photography and came back to LA when I was 19 and I started to work for a photographer part-time doing hair and makeup while I was going out on auditions. And um, I, I realized quickly that when I'd worked for this photographer, I w- he photographed actors. And I knew that if I could just get my foot in a door in front of an agent that, um, I would be able to, uh, 
I would be able to to book an agent because it's one of those elusive things you in this business you can't just go hey I'd like to be an actor can I have an agent it isn't like hey I'd like to be an American Horror Story knock knock hi I'd like to be on your show and um, so but I just knew that if I could get in front of an agent I would be able to get represented because I would mail in my stuff and make phone calls and that didn't always work. And so I found, I found ways to, um, to get to meet people face to face by delivering, um, by actually delivering uh, other people's proof sheets. And, um, and that actually got me an agent. It got me three that I was able to choose from. Um, I found that I needed to do a little research and find out what do people like and, um, you know, I, it was kind of the old fashioned way of like, oh, I found out this guy really likes this age old whiskey, this agent, I'm going to leave a headshot with a bottle of this whiskey um, at the front of, you know, his office. Um, I'm uh, um, this guy, uh, this guy can't eat wheat. Oh, okay. What kind? There it is. Oh, okay. See, there are certain, what? No, I was going to say, how did you know I was a whiskey drinker? But because <laughs> I could smell it. Um, oh, that's that's bad. I need to hit the shower then. <laughs> no, you paid me enough. You're fine. Okay. Um, so I I would go in deeper in a personal in a personal connection to um, to find out like even someone's background, like oh he's also from New York or he's also Italian, and I would use that knowledge to make connections. And, and I never took anything lightly when, if I would go to some party or even as a waitress, you know, I, um, I, I waited on Jeff Goldblum when he was dating uh, Gina Davis. And, um, uh, you know, I said that, you know, and at the time everyone thought I looked like Gina Davis and he said, Oh, but you have cuter dimples. I didn't really like that then. I didn't really like that. He complimented me over his, girlfriend, wife, whatever she was back then, but that's okay. Um, he has a really can great show Can you appreciate show it now? I, I can, I can appreciate it now. I, I, you know, and I think he might've had a flirty time back then. And this is like 30 years ago. Um, you know, guys do those kind of things. I don't think he was anyway. Um, but I, um, I did take the cheese from his hamburger that he didn't eat. And I put it in a Ziploc bag. And I brought it to my acting class that night and I did a comedy skit with the cheese that had one bite mark out of it. And I did a little commercial like because it was we were doing improv night at my acting class that night. So when they were done eating, he had taken just one bite out of his burger and then he took the cheese off and put it to the side. And I kept that cheese. I actually forgot about that pretty much until just now. How about that? Don't judge. Don't judge. No. And Jeff, you know, your food was your food was wonderful. Help get some gigs and training, but See? <laughs> we'll try to look at the positive of this. Yes, yes. So, so I, you know, you, using um, uh, using those sort of tools to really get to know someone more than just um, uh, just to get to know them more. And I, and still to this day, I do that. I I do that through um, social media. You know, I, I get to, you, you know, you look at, look at their pages and I will, um, for, for two years, I was a talent agent in Los Angeles and I would have some actors come for representation. And there were several of them that brought the box series of subspecies. And a lot of the other agents thought like, oh my God, isn't that creepy? And I said, absolutely not. 
I said, that meant that 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 actor did a little research, found out other things that I've done. And I said, I think it's kind of cool. I said, creepy would be if they came to my house in their underwear and knocked on my door. You know, like there's a big difference between doing some research, finding out something about someone that you may have in common, a love of horror film, a love of Earl Grey tea or a certain kind of whiskey. Um, You know, maybe you both were adopted, you know, maybe you both fight for, you know, certain animal rights, whatever that thing is that you can connect with, um, with that other person is going to endear you to them. And we, we all want to work with people who we like and love. And, um, you know, I, I teach actors, I do little business seminars, I just volunteer and I do them about three or four times a year for the last 20 years. And, and that's one of the most important things I say is that actors and directors, they're, they're no different than us. It's like, wouldn't we all just love to like hang out with our college buddies and do films for the rest of our lives? And you look at, you know, the Ben Stillers or the Vince Vaughn's who've, you know, they kind of keep a lot of the same cast together. Right. Adam and Sandler. Even, right. And that was before like the like, OK, you get the Marvel series where they have to keep using those people. But when you're doing different films, but you're keeping your buddies with you, it, it may not be because they're the best actor, but you dig each other. There's a certain and comfort to it, too. It's exactly right. So you want to be like I always felt like I wanted them to trust that the 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 not only the professionalism but um but the fun that you can bring to someone on the set and that that to me is just like because everybody likes to have fun and uh you know life is too serious and making a film can be serious it's more serious than watching a film but the film will be as fun as it is if you if based on the fun that you have making it even if it's like dark and and difficult there's a joy because you're creating something that's meaningful and um and i really that's one thing that i really learned about this business um it's not like just working at a bank yeah exactly well i do have to say this that you made me pop when i was doing some homework and reading and all that stuff because i had to ask my five-year-old niece to read it to me the stuff online I'm just kidding, folks. I really didn't have her do that. But on your website, DeniseStuff.com, the thing that got me excited and made me laugh a little bit was you were talking about the, in your about section and talking about yourself and fluffing yourself up, which why not, why not pump yourself up? But in the biography, you were talking about the TV commercials you've done like checks party mix and fruit of the loom and budweiser and all that stuff and you put in quotes which certainly helped pay the bills and bought my house i love the candor and honesty with that because and i've heard well i love that because most people would be like oh you know try to hide certain things they did but people don't realize if we're being honest here the amount of money you can make doing commercial work especially when you're with national brands whether it be budweiser fruit of the loom you know these nationwide and sometimes worldwide brands yeah so i i appreciate it the way you wrote that (laughs) yeah i mean 
it's um uh and it and it goes in the other way too because when I like I when I was an agent for two years a lot of people wanted their you know their children I want to get my kid into the business I want him to make some college money right and that that was kind of a phrase that you hear a lot yeah I just want them to make some you know just some money for college but I, I always sort of disabuse them of the idea of just going into it for the money because the amount of auditions that it took for me to book even the dozen that might have made a half a million dollars, um, you, the dozens and dozens and dozens that you have to go on. Like if you book one or two national commercials a year, that's really freaking good, right? Um, obviously now national commercials... They, they make them so fast. Um, they've created a, um, buyouts um, because there's so many different channels. Um, but uh, so you get paid a little less now, but there's a lot more commercials, right? It mm-hmm. used to just be one TV, 10 stations. Um, so I, I, I always tell parents too to just know that um, it's, it's a long runway and you have to really love it. And you, you've got to have another job to pay your bills. And for a long time, I was a freelance makeup artist. And that's what I did. In fact, even when I was on The Young and Restless, um, I had segued into doing photography, really, because I love it. And it was a, a nice way to make extra cash. And there's lots of, you know, I, there's lots of foundations I like to donate to. Um, I like to be able to help out friends. I never wanted to be able to just get by. I wanted to be able to, to help donate when I could. And so I, um, when I set my garage up as a photo studio, I was on the soap opera and I might've been making like $3,000 a day on the soap opera, but I couldn't wait to come home and do uh, a photo shoot to an actor for $300. And, you know, they'd knock on the door and, and I'd, I'd be, hi. And they're like, I just saw you on my TV today at lunchtime. And I'm like, Oh, right on, come on in. And, um, so you, you just need to keep many sources of income coming in regardless of what they were. And so my photography job was definitely a way to make sure my bills got paid to make sure that, you know, I could have clean teeth, you know, keep my hair halfway decent, you know, nice clothes and, you know, a car that runs insured gas, and a roof over your head. And so whatever that took, doing makeup for people, doing photography. I used to sell flowers in nightclubs when I was 20, 21 and starting out um, in between going on auditions. And, and I'll never forget the day that I, that I stopped selling flowers in nightclubs because I had enough commercials and enough residuals coming in. And that, that I cried. I cried that night where I didn't go out because I just kept thinking of all my girlfriends that were out there going from nightclub to nightclub with all the cigarettes and, you know, and all the guys hitting on you. And, but we'd make a few hundred bucks and, um, but I didn't have to do that anymore. And I got to go out to dinner with my husband and I got to just sit on the couch and watch TV if I wanted to. And, um, but but you work your butt off for that, you know, and then there's a new level. Then you're like, oh, you know, I'd like to buy a house. Okay. Now we've got to do more commercials or we've got to make another form of income. What else do you like to do? Photography. So I've just, I've always um, pushed my creative level to a demand that I, that I need to do. And whether it was, I wanted to, um, 
you know, um, create a, a video for a friend and have the money for that so that we could, we could make it a really good quality that would push me to go out on more auditions, you know, goes back to what I, my previous question there, as far as learning the hustle of it. And it's kind of where I'm going. And I'd like to be blunt with the show, trying to figure out how I can take this post COVID. There's never been a huge budget for us being a one man, you know, writing, directing, producing, the hosting everything. But so in a sense, learning the hustle so I can take the show on a road. We got a couple of things going on that want to do and accomplish, but it's how do we get there from point A to point B? But you mentioned your husband, Michael, who I yeah. heard a little rumbling that he was in a band. So how did you hook up with Michael as far as was it seeing the band or... Where did he I, um, come in there in a play? I was 21 and I was waitressing at a 50s diner in Sherman Oaks, California. And he had just moved from Boston to Los Angeles to work for a music company called um, Marshall Amplifiers. Um, it was Marshall Amplifiers and Chord Keyboards. And he was a singer songwriter, but working as a businessman for um, Marshall amplifiers and, and doing um, would go out, was an artist rep. Um, and he'd come into the restaurant, the fifties restaurant all the time. And I just thought he was super cute. And, um, and so that's how I met him. And I, I asked him out on a date first. He was 22. I was 21. And um, so we, we got married and a few years after we got married, he put a band together and they started performing a lot. And, um, and then I got pregnant and when our daughter was, um, they used to practice all the time when I was pregnant and, um, and then when about a year after she was born, I remembered, you know, starting to make phone calls on, on the band's behalf. And I would call Columbia records and Capitol records, um, was it A&M, um, radioactive. I'd call these labels and I would just say, hello, my name is Denise Marie. I work for the band Chalk Farm and I wanted to send you a cassette. And I literally would be so scared, but I would write it down. I made a script and I didn't use my last name, Duff. I would just say Denise Marie. And I, and I had a little chalkboard and I would write down who I called. And I remembered the third record label that I called. Um, and, oh, and I would get a name of a name. I, I had just done hair and makeup to some manager and the manager had repped, um, oh my gosh, some rap star. And he said, look, you should call, call so-and-so at A&M at their Charlie Chaplin studio, ask him what the code word is because they've got a little code you can put on the envelope when you send it in. Okay, good. Get that right. The name down. So I said, hi, I'm Denise Marie. Um, yes, I just, I'm friends with, um, Joe Blue and, um, he recommended that I send you a cassette of the, uh, the band that I represent chalk farm. Uh, great. Okay. And you're still at Bob Ladgers. Excellent. Um, what's the, um, just give me what the, the code word is that I should put on the, the envelope. I made it like, I already know this. Right. And he's like, Oh, something like tropical punch. Great. Tropical punch. So I took that phrase. 
I called up this other uh, A&R rep at another music company. I said, hi, you know, my name is Denise Duff. Um, look, I, you know, I'm friends with Joe. I didn't even know if this guy knew someone, but he was big enough. And I said, yeah, I've just been met, met with him. He told me that I should uh, send you guys a cassette um, of a band I work with, Chalk Farm. Um, do you guys have a, um, do you have a little code that I can put on the envelope when I send it to make sure it ensures it gets to you? And they were like, yeah, just put in twice Apple, whatever. Great. Thank you. So I just went in there throwing out names, assuming that, um, that they also had a code and really players just want to play with players who know the rules, you know, don't call them up. Don't ever call up and go, hi, hi, how are you? Uh, um, who is this? <laughs> yeah. hey, I'm Denise. How are you doing? Uh, can I, can I help you? Like nobody cares to, to answer the question. How are you doing? We, I don't even know who you are. They have this much time, get to the point exactly. and get to the point in a professional way, right? Like for you, you know, hi, my name is Denise Duff. I was referred to, to you by Julie Michaels. I'm a, an actress. I've done horror. I've got an upcoming film um, in the franchise that I've done. And I think maybe it would be great publicity if you think of my client or me to be on your next podcast series. Boom. Like get to the point and what's the goal. What's all that fun stuff. Right. Exactly. You know, you it's super I, sexy really. And you, here you go. I was just thinking about this too, as being to the point and stuff, and you would get this being spent time in New York and stuff. And how we are in the Northeast, Philadelphia, New York, Jersey, all that fun stuff. That the time I lived in Florida when I started this in 2012, for a few months I was down there and I was working at a theme park. They, I went to order food and what the way they were advertising the food, it was, it's like, dude, they don't make that. It was a cheesesteak and stuff. I said, dude, you don't do it that way. He goes, you're pretty blunt. You're, you're kind of an asshole. Like I said, I wasn't being blunt. I was, you know, you know how we are. We're down in this. We're just matter of fact to the, to the point. And it was like the guy was from or Central Florida his whole life. Wasn't used to that bluntness. Yeah. You know, it's a totally different personality. Yeah. Like, you know. Yeah, it, it's it is. It's um, nothing. No one. No one succeeds like the New Yorkers. You know, they get stuff done. Um, you know, L.A. is a, um, a very it's, it's a very different vibe. But what keeps it going is. Sorry, I'm laughing. Your cat fell. <laughs> yeah. oh my God. I'm trying to ignore this little guy. I'm trying to ignore him. I'm trying to like, be professional. Um, <laughs> so, it, uh, you know, they knew in Los Angeles, they're very driven, um, but it, it does have a little bit more of a laid back vibe. And when I moved from, I'm originally from New York, but my family moved to Los Angeles when I was five. And that's where I lived my entire life until the last few years ago when we decided to move to Manhattan, my husband and I. And it was, um, it was just it was so many people in LA couldn't believe, why would you move back? Why would you move to New York? People, people move out of New York. Why would you move to Manhattan? You know, you know, you're a grown-up. Grown-ups don't move back to, to Manhattan. They, they, you know, enjoy the laybackness of Los Angeles. And I said, you know, I think, I think a few people have been okay and survived the cold weather and the, the blunt people. And, you know, I, I think people can still be productive in Manhattan. And then they'd be like, Oh, well, I mean, yeah. And I'm like, yeah, 
because like it is not a sleepy town. Now, where I'm at now is a bit of a sleepy town, although, you know, Tampa's starting to pick up. Um, but it was just it was just exhilarating. You, you, I would look out my window. I lived uh, in an apartment in Hudson Yards and you're looking out and you're seeing photo shoots going on and you're seeing films going on and you're seeing people pulling giant couches down the street and mannequins for fashion design and, you know, wild art paintings being, you know, everything is in the street because because it, that you've got to do a lot of walking. So you're, you're mm-hmm. constantly motivated. And I really feel that, you know, if anyone listening is, is feeling a little stuck creatively, you've got to get out and get into a, a, a metropolis area, even if it's just for a couple of days and, and just see life happening at its fullest and see humanity going on because it's really the best way to get inspired. Exactly. And, a change of scenery helps the creativity. That's for sure. It does. And I had you on just about an hour, but okay. my last question for you is, and I appreciate the time, Denise. And well, actually I got two questions because I want to tie a bow on something we started with, but first one being along the way, the different beats. And I know these to be legit because of uh, not only this thing called the internet, but you got a chance to work with, and I know people might younger to me really may not know the name, but would know the show. Andy Griffith, you worked oh. with him on Matlock, but also Mark Harmon and both gentlemen gave you great tips that you use for your acting career. So what was this? Wow. Wow. You're so good. (laughs) You are so good. Okay. Gosh, podcasters of America, please check out, uh, check out this host here and hire him and pay him lots of money. Okay. Andy Griffith. We'll start with Andy Griffith. Um, Andy Griffith, first of all, even in his late sixties, being the star of a show would come to the set with all of his lines completely memorized pages upon pages, while day players who'd have one or two pages still had to look down at their script. Um, He was one of the first people I knew who requested vegetable juicers to be put in the makeup trailer because he really cared about his crew being healthy. Um, he, um, He would sit and talk and ask questions about my personal life and I, it was the first time I experienced such a, a, a super celebrity who's been through every uh, decades of filming actually gave a shit about this little 23 year old actress and wanted to know about my life. Um, ironically, I did get to tell him that we lived on the same block when I was six years old and, um, and I actually had gotten his autograph um, and he didn't, he didn't even know that. So for me, it was a real kind of coming home thing. But um, he, uh, he really showed me that professionalism um, is, is a timeless quality. And, um, and also he sort of showed me a little, uh, he, he had this, this charm and this sex appeal about him, which, you know, I, I suppose um, 
maybe now in today's climate might not might come across different, but um, he just was always very, he was very playful in a, in a sweet way. He was very complimentary, but, um, but never crossed any line, just 100% professional, but enjoyed uh, working on that set. Um, Mark Harmon, um, I worked with him on a TV show called Reasonable Doubts. And that was a show where he and Marley Matlin um, uh, were detectives on it. And, um, and I had a starring role on one of the episodes. Now, at that point, I had done several films. You know, I had done Hell Comes to Frogtown and I'd done. Um, go yeah, ahead. Well, go ahead. I got it just registered another yeah. question. Go ahead. I had done Hell Comes to Frogtown Part Two with Bobby Zadar, who's Maniac Cop. Um, I played Spangle, and um, with Brian James, and um, yeah, it was it was directed by um, oh gosh, not Don Don Don. Oh, okay, we'll leave that. So I've been working. I did, I've done national commercials at this point, um, and. So now I'm on this set. I'd, I'd done I'd done Matlock, which was a, uh, a two-part episode. So I was on the show for quite a while. And now I'm on Reasonable Doubts. And Mark Harmon was the star of it. Now I'm in hair and makeup. And I uh, they call in to say Mark is going to be late because he um, is helping a woman on the 405 freeway who got a flat tire. Now, at the time, cell phones weren't super popular. And he had a cell phone. So he pulled over to help this woman and waited there until... Um, a fire truck came to help her because the 405 freeway is kind of vast. And so he, I already had this great opinion of him, even though I knew nothing of him prior to that. And so he, uh, um, I had finished filming a scene and I'm on the sound stages and I'm walking around the sound stages. I'm away from where they're filming and I'm walking through other fake rooms and I'm looking at things and Mark Harmon shows up and, um, and I asked him a question, kind of a, a, a simple question. And I just really just felt like getting into communication. And it's part of my part of my tool when I whenever I work is to find out something about a person, get in communication with them, find something to ask a question about. So I asked him this question and he says, oh, is this your first job? Right. Not in a demeaning way. And the way he said it, I it made me think, wow, he really wants to help and I want to accept his help. So I said, yes, actually it is. Now, you know, I could justify it's my first job on Reasonable Doubts, that TV show. Well, for the remaining week and a half of shooting, he would help me with tips of how to stay in your light so that you don't get a shadow. He gave me tips on how to hit my mark. So for example, like if, if this is where, um, if this is where I need to end up for this scene and the light is good, he would tell me, keep your body right there and just rock out of frame and just totally rock out of frame. And then when you come in, you, you're, you're set, keep your feet there and rock out. And then boom, you don't have to worry about walking up to it. So he gave me these little pointers of what it's like being on a set and because he just really cared about an actor doing well. Um, another actor who was super helpful was um, uh, Caruso, David Caruso from uh, CSI Miami. Um, and 
apparently sometimes he had gotten a bad rap I had heard. And, um, but on the particular set, he, there was one day where I guess um, the production, there was something going on with the production and he refused to come out on set until the crew members were given something that they were requesting until they were given their rights for something. So they were being good to the actors, but the crew was kind of getting shit on. And David Caruso, the star of CSI Miami, um, really stood up for them. And so I, I, I really loved hearing these little stories about these celebrities who really don't have to do that. Um, so those are my fate. But what I was thinking of when you uh, mentioned Hell Comes to Frogtown. <laughs> yeah, I can't just okay. drop that. Yes, I, and the reason you made me think of that, or what you made me think of, was one guy I always wanted to talk to, but unfortunately didn't happen, was Roddy Piper. Yeah. So did you have much interaction with him? I didn't have much interaction with him because I replaced Sondal Bergman in part one as Spangle. And Bobby Zadar, Robert Zadar, replaced um, Rowdy Roddy Piper in part two. We got to see each other at some conventions. Um, I believe he came by the set one day. I I, I have a I know that I had an interaction with him, and I think it might have been when we were out like at this desert ranch. We had our jetpacks and this crazy crazy scenes we were flying there were frogs Lou Ferrigno was in it and Lou Ferrigno what do you like him don't like him no because no, of the green it makes sense the like, green. exactly exactly and he just found it he's like in the makeup chair he's like here I am again getting green you know he just took everything with such a, a grain of salt really such a team player yeah but Part of that was, and I'll be honest, I've heard different things with interactions with fans at conventions and stuff, but I don't know. I I can't judge. It wasn't me. So, yeah, I thought of the green when it comes to uh, Lou. Yeah, exactly. That was that was the, the humor with him. So final question that I wanted to tie a bow with everything. Okay. And obviously, we tongue-in-cheek we're talking about part of it but julie michaels did recommend you and everything love her to death as someone she's been a great champion i think for what i do so far from what i've heard from multiple people yourself adam Adam marcus the writer director and when i talk to other friends and acquaintances of the show have worked with her and know her Marshall Teague and whatnot said Julie is such a champion for you. And I do appreciate that. But my question being is how you mentioned earlier about some of the domestic stuff you would do, you know, having kids similar age and whatnot, but how would you describe her as a person? Cause there's some things she in my experience, we're all positive, but I don't feel, and I know she didn't do it for look at me, look at me, look at me kind of deal. 
but what kind of person would you say she is? Because I think it can't be said enough. <laughs> I, I think the phrase, your ride or die, was made for Julie. Because literally, you, um, uh, you know, un- unfortunately, her, her cat passed this morning. And, and she, um, she tried very hard doing CPR to her baby of 17 years. And, um, uh, and she was crying and uh, she, and and I'm only saying if if I had something, if I I called her when, as soon as she texted me, um, but if I called her to tell her some problem with me, she literally would have suppressed that entire thing to just help me out. And she's done that before, you know, she's someone who is always trying, is always helping someone who's going through chemo, someone who's just had some bad accident, someone who can't pay their rent. And so she's helping them give them work. She's working and hiring someone, finding a job for someone so that they can make their insurance. Like she goes so much more than just saying really sweet things and thinking nice things. She does things for people. And you know, she's she's my emergency contact for the last 28 years. I mean, if that doesn't say anything, you know, every I could I could see that. Yeah, every official paperwork I've ever signed, you know, husband, mother, daughter, emergency contact, Julie Michaels. Yeah, and I mean, even when she went to speak at the. Um, uh, Ronald Reagan Museum. She was asked to be a, like a keynote speaker there, and like she didn't just walk through the door and walk up the audience and onto the stage. Her whole purpose of speaking is to inspire people to do things bigger and better and greater and be more bold and brave. Right? Like mm-hmm. ultimately, that's what we want. So she decided to enter that speech by coming in on a helicopter hanging from it from a wire outside of it so the uh, museum where you speak has got a big glass window so all of the people coming to see her speak you're looking at the stage but the stage is right in front of glass windows so they're all sitting there and they're looking out of the window and who do they see on a helicopter going by through this field is julie hanging and gets dropped down and then runs into it and enters that way, you know? So she really melds that, that combination of um, having the wisdom to, to inspire someone, but then doing this beautiful, physical, artistic, poetic action to just really put the cherry on top. And that might, if that doesn't say about her that nothing will, but I will, that would explain why I didn't hear a response. And it, this ain't about me, but I'll have to talk to you off air about it. But hearing about the cat is, you know, but everything you said there, that's her to a T. The woman I've gotten to know over the past couple months as an acquaintance and hopefully 
the relationship continues. Positive folks before you email me, Facebook, all that stuff. I'm not saying nothing. Yeah. Wrong. But I do want to mention as we wrap here, and thank you for the time, denisestuff.com, the see about the photography work, the makeup brands, the acting, just everything all on the website. Also get links for her Instagram, Denise Stuff, and all that fun stuff. So is there anything I'm missing here? <laughs> so stuff. Instagram, there- stuff. Facebook, that's all good. That's it's the easiest way to get me. Um, you know, my skincare company is in your face skincare, um, in your face skincare, but yeah, you can reach me. You can DM me on, um, on Instagram is probably easiest. The Facebook is it's full. So I have to kind of go in and accept, and I'm sort of thousands behind. Um, but you absolutely could, can get me through Facebook or, um, through Instagram, Denise with a C. Denise, thank you so much. You are so very welcome. Thank you. This was just an incredible, fun journey. Appreciate it. is truly exciting and so glad that they are starting to make a positive impact. Little Bean Soapery is a woman-owned small business based in Northeast Pennsylvania. Little Bean Soapery does so much as all products are handcrafted and offer many different things for both men and women. Soaps, scrubs, body butters, bath bombs, solid cologne and much more. Little Bean Soapery also does things for special occasions such as birthdays, Mother's Day, Father's Day and special seasonal gift sets. But also, let's not forget large orders for party favors by request. The great things about all products is that they are crafted to be nourishing on the skin. If you wish to check them out, please feel free to visit littlebeansopery.com. Any questions, please feel free to also email littlebeansopery at gmail.com for custom inquiries and or ask anything else you wish. Tell them that Elena from Crazy Train Radio sends you. Hi, I'm Julie Michaels, and you're listening to Crazy Train Radio.